Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Monday, October 5th. Woke up today, Clemson is 4-0, and life is good. Uh, this is your host, Nick Tully. I'm joined today by Cody, and uh, this is part one of our two-part Notre Dame recap. Our first part here will be basically a podcast rundown of the Notre Dame game. And secondly, we're very pleased to share with you all our first interview on the podcast uh, with Shaken the Southland's own senior writer, Quacking Tiger. Um, so this will be a two-part deal. Um, if you're subscribed, you'll be able to get both, um, but otherwise we'll be sharing and posting both tracks, um, out on iTunes. You can get that on your favorite podcasting app. Um, so before we start today, um, definitely are keeping the residents of South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia, um, in our thoughts and prayers as they deal with the aftermath of hurricane Joaquin and the flooding taking place over the weekend. Um, we'll definitely be watching the relief efforts closely and hope that everyone finds a way to support those in need. Um, whether family, friends, or strangers alike. Um, our third host, Ben Welty, is actually still down in Charleston where he was attending a wedding over the weekend, and he sent us some photos of his neighborhood, and they were effectively flooded in. I don't even know if they were able to make it out of there for the wedding. Um, fortunately, I believe he was able to watch the game, but um, you know, definitely a, a harrowing experience down there. Um, and you know, again, thoughts and prayers out to everyone. Yeah, apparently Ben was actually watching the wedding on FaceTime, he went to Charleston all the way home you know, for one of his good friend's weddings. And he's got one TV up watching the Clemson game and the other watching the wedding. So I guess it, I mean, yeah, I guess it was okay for him. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, Cody, turns out we beat Notre Dame over the weekend. Yeah, that was one of the best. It felt like a championship game. I, there was something, I mean, I think there was a buzz and you were at the game and I'm, I want to hear about your experience, but I'm, you know, I was in San Francisco over 300 miles away, 3000 miles away. And, you know, we were in a bar, you know, with all our Clemson alumni group. And it was just, I don't know. It was, it was amazing. People were hugging. It felt like it literally felt like we won the championship. So that's the, one of the beautiful things about college football, like every week, you know, especially in, the, in this playoff scenario, uh, we lose, we're out. So, you know, we win and we beat a big, big uh, team like Notre Dame, big name like Notre Dame. It, it just, it was very special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I did go to the game. Um, it's an experience I'll never forget. I mean, not only the stakes of this game, you know, we, we won against the winningest program in the history of college football. Um, Notre Dame just has that historical clout. Um, some would call it a swagger about them. And, you know, sitting there in the stadium watching those golden helmets, you could see how some would be intimidated by that. Um, it was it was very cool to see. Not only that, you know, the atmosphere at Death Valley, the noise of the fans, seeing everyone really rise to the occasion, rise to the challenge, and just show up and, you know, put on their best in the stadium. And with tailgating, too. I mean, um, you know, people were out in full force, full effect. Um, the rain was, you know, no joke. Um, maybe not, you know, hurricane force winds or rain, rain, anything like that. But there were times in the game we had, you know, the hood of your poncho off. Other times you had to have that on. It was just kind of miserable. You couldn't couldn't really do anything but sit there and get wet. But um, overall, it was just an incredible, incredible day, incredible game to watch, and so glad I went. It was it was amazing. Um, but of course, you know, you touched on it in this era of the playoffs. 
to win a game like that and keep this perfect season for us alive and continue one more week um, undefeated is huge, especially against a program like Notre Dame and a team. I mean, they're, you know, don't sell them short. They are a very good college football team. We'll talk about where we might rank them in the, the overall standings. But um, yeah, I feel like you know, that, was, that was a huge win for us. Might even have been our hardest game on our schedule this year. Yeah. Again, yeah. It was. It was not just. Uh, it's not just the name Notre Dame, but yeah, they came in. They were. They're a good team. They're a very complete team, and we dominated them in almost all facets of the game. And I think it was. You know, the score. We'll get to the score in a second. You know, but it, it wasn't really as close as it indicated. And I think. I think we see like the the defense and in, in post game interviews. Like they they had a chip on their shoulder. Dabo really played that up. You know, he, he really sold that to them. Hey, we're the underdog. No one's giving us any credit. And it's like I feel like Clemson, this team, maybe, maybe before, even before this, I feel like it's taken on this like new identity in terms of you know, back against the wall, no one believes in you, and the coach or the players are really getting behind that. I think it works too. Um, I mean, just that lack. You heard the players coming in in the um, sort of lead up to the game, player press conferences, talking about no national respect and feeling like they're not. You know, getting credit for for wins in the past and wins even this season, um, and you know, I feel like the manner in which we won, the final score we could talk about, and the fact that we sort of let Notre Dame back into that game, maybe that didn't change the mind of our doubters. You know, those around the country that expect us to fail or don't don't consider us to be a legit contender. But regardless, this was a huge win for our playoff chances and for our visibility. So, um, I mean, I think Clemson fans need to put this one into perspective is this is you know among the biggest wins we've had the last few years absolutely i mean it's it's right up there with any other win we've had even in the bowl even in during bowl season i feel like um and this was a i mean again this was a good team and i don't know it's it, it just goes to show i mean under, under Dabo, things things have taken a complete 180 from you know 2010 and he even mentioned it 2010 is when things started changing and uh, Hopefully it all like this culminated in, into this moment, and we can we can look back and say this was just another step in getting to where we ultimately want to get to the playoff. Absolutely, and in terms of national respect, I mean we'll we'll continue to see how the narrative around Clemson evolves this season. But I think we are starting to see you know some recognition here. Clemson's moved up to number six in the AP poll. Uh, we're ahead of any SEC teams at this point. You know a lot of their top dogs either have losses or in the case of LSU um, haven't really played any you know, notable programs yet. Um, a lot of t- people are calling this one of the best wins of the season by a team that's still undefeated. Um, and we're starting to also see some of our games that are hitting the schedule. We're getting those more desirable, well-respected time slots. We play Georgia Tech at 3.30. I think our BC game is at an odd hour. I think it's at 7 p.m. Um, kind of an odd start for that one. But again, um, we're starting to get the, I think some national visibility and respect that we're, that we're due and that we've earned. Um, so I guess, you know, to break down how we're going to address this game today, you know, everyone's, everyone was there. You tuned in live. You probably rewatched the game a few times on DVR by this point. We're not going to rehash this thing drive by drive. And everyone's probably by this point also read a, a bunch of articles about, you know, how the game progressed, um, you know, how we almost gave it away, et cetera, um, if, that's, if that's the standing narrative. We're not going to go into that, but I think we're going to touch on just our own takeaways from, from the game. Um, and I think you touched on it a bit. I'd like to start just by putting this in perspective of the Dabo era. Um, we've beaten now at this point, you know, some of the the leading elite programs in the country, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, and now Notre Dame. 
Um, and it, it does it does go back to Dabo Sweeney and the cultures he's, he's instilled. Um, and I think this bottom line is Clemson continues to beat vaunted programs. I think there's a lot of emphasis nationally on, or even among our fan base, are we like play, emphasis placed on style points? And are we like blowing teams out um, in our league? But while we'd, while we'd certainly love to see Clemson just be, being dominant and running, running teams off the field, um, our record in games decided by seven points um, or less. Our record when we're leading games in the fourth quarter are both very impeccable at this point. Um, shows coaching discipline, and I think it shows that um, we, our coaches are designing a game plan, our players are executing to the point where um, they're holding on and they're going, you know, basically getting the win. And I think that's comes down to competitiveness. It comes down to pride among our players and the culture that I personally believe was lacking, you know, before Dabo came into came into place. I totally agree. I, I graduated in 2010. You know, that was you know right before Tommy Bowden got booted. You know, that was midway through 2008. And you know, I knew a few football players, and everyone kind of knew the vibe. Everyone knew football players, and a lot of them just weren't bought in, and it was. It was very disappointing, and I frankly I couldn't get behind the team as much back then because they weren't motivated to win. They they didn't go into every game thinking, you know, I'm going to give it 100 percent because you know they the guy that was leading them, you know, they didn't they weren't bought, they weren't bought in. So completely you know different culture. That's exactly what it is. For one, it's it's culture from just great leadership, but it's also recruiting uh, high character, high talent guys, and they're all across the roster. Say what you want. You can try to sell us as like the the underdog, but Mackenzie Alexander is a five star guy. Shaq Lawson was a high four star. Uh, the, the same teams, Ohio State, you know, Ohio State's, Florida's, the Florida States were all recruiting these guys. Uh, we got just as much talent, at least on defense in certain areas. It's just about anybody in the country, so uh, it's it's a different Clemson look for sure. Yep, absolutely. And you know, it, our the table set in front of us for this season. I think we'll touch on what we think our outlook is from this point and how our schedule sets up. But, um, you know, the best programs, we even talked about this in the off season, the best programs can not only have the, they can recruit for depth. Um, so when you do get that amazing defensive class that we had last year, when you have all those guys going to the NFL or graduate or, you know, leave the program or go down with injury, the fact that we've been able to reload and have this caliber defense come back those are the those are the telltale signs of an elite program, um, and we came into the season thinking the defense would be a liability. They've turned out to be our greatest strength as a team, which is which is great considering we've had maybe some um, underwhelming offensive performances in some areas. Yeah, but I, I like where we are instead of the inverse. I feel like if the defense were down, I mean. It, we won't even go there, but I will say that yeah, the defense has really been a huge surprise. They've been unbelievable up front. Uh, the secondary plays like I mean, it could be one of the best secondaries in the nation, uh, and then the linebackers, uh, whether or not they're better or as good as last year's linebackers, they're just as fun to watch. I can't think of a like you're talking about Ben Bulware and BJ Goods and just two wrecking balls that just blow up everything. I, 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 it's I just enjoyable. Who, I can't tell who the bigger playmaker is at this point either. I mean, I think. We all know Bulware's style and his aggressiveness, but BJ Goodson put on quite a show in that game too. So, yeah, absolutely, not a lot behind him, but man, our first two linebackers, yeah, very impressive and fun to watch. Cool. Well, um, I think let's at this point get into some key questions about this game. Maybe ones we had coming in, or just ones that you know any Clemson performance you're going to sort of go through and try to figure out. Um, so maybe to start on a positive here, I mean Cody from. Um, maybe a key moment in the game 
maybe one that you you look back on as a pivotal play, a pivotal moment. What sticks with you as a time when it was, it was either a turning point or just we really were able to set the tone within this game with this victory? I mean, it started really like in, probably in the uh, the opening drive, just going out. I mean, Desha- I mean, we unfortunately we couldn't maintain that, and but seeing Deshaun Watson. Um, First two drives actually where we scored, and I got I got to give it to Artavis Scott who just I told I said it before he's five eleven he's like the size of a of a you know DB with a little extra muscle. Well, those two guys that were his exact same size, he just trucks them every time. I don't know what it is. The guy just he plays with so much intensity. Um, yeah, so he, he literally bounced off two guys. They fell down. He walks into the end zone. Um, I mean that that was there were a lot of kind of ebbs and flows, but that was the thing that really stood out to me. Yeah, I mean for me. Beyond the obvious of the two-point conversion stop, um, I one of my favorite plays, including live, was just the Ammon Lakeup hit that caused the fumble on the second half kickoff. Um, able to recover that, go down, score a quick touchdown. That that right there, you could argue, is one of the reasons we won this game and flip. You know, continue to flip the momentum. Notre Dame came down into the first half and really took back some of the some of the good good mojo we had working in the first half. Um, they were gonna. They were poised to take the ball over and come back and drive down. And who knows what that second half would have looked like if they had started with a scoring drive. Instead, we put seven on the board. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, all their scoring came at the end. We were gassed. But, yeah, we, we did so much. We, you, see, you hear the luck of the Irish. I feel like we did get a few, few breaks. Um, they had some dropped passes. Frankly, we had some dropped interceptions. Um, but part of that, I mean, I, I don't buy into luck. I feel like, again, you, you know, we did, you know— uh, Mark Fields recovered that Artavis Scott, you know, where, where he uh, he dropped the ball from the off the punt. So we did get a few breaks, but you know, good teams will get breaks, and that's what what it's come down to. Yeah, and we've been in games in recent years. I think back to South Carolina game. I think it was probably 2013, where um, Adam Humphreys. You know, how many of those bad breaks did we have on fumbles? So um, this stuff ebbs and flows. It is luck. It, it you know these things do regress to the mean. Um, hopefully next game we. We'll, we'll have a, at least a, a neutral turnover margin. But I think that was, a, that was another key to this game was just a turnover margin of 4-1. to one. Clearly had a big impact. So, totally, you were at the game. How do you – you probably got to interact with a few Notre Dame fans. How do you think they felt waking up on Sunday? I mean, I will say the Notre Dame fans I interacted with in Clemson, both from walking around tailgates and I went to Tiger Town for a bit, walked around downtown – um, all great football fans and all great. I mean, they made, they made the trek. A lot of them had advanced notice on this weather situation, could have pulled the ripcord. So, um, very knowledgeable fan base and very respectful and, and a good, good crew overall. Um, that being said, you know, after the game, not after the game immediately, but, um, getting back where I had an internet connection and, you know, shelter, um, away from the rain, I was reading some articles on some other blogs and it seems like Notre Dame, and again, this is all emotion coming off of a close loss for them, a, a difficult loss. Um, a lot of the sentiment there was that they feel like they gave the game to us. That they gave the game away. You know, it's not that Clemson earned it. It was that Notre Dame lost that game. And I, I personally take issue with that. I think that that's not how it went down. I think Clemson won that game. Um, and I think it underappreciates the fact that uh, they were scoring late. And I think you mentioned it. They were moving the ball, I think, because our defense was gassed. Um, not necessarily because they were out coaching us or out calling us or out athleting us. I think it was, you know, you saw it on the um, CJ Prosize wheel route. 
our guys were not able to catch up to him. Meanwhile, all game, I think we were outrunning ProSize. Um, you could chalk some of that that fatigue up to the fact that in the fourth quarter, um, our final three drives before the kneel down uh, were three and outs, or when we went down, we recovered our BJ Goodson had the interception, and we went basically four and out with the missed field goal. So to have three drives that really results in nothing and not much time off the clock gets that defense back there, back out there on the field. Notre Dame's moving it. You know, anyway, I feel like that that's ultimately what let them back into this game. And I think it also discounts the fact that with their turnovers, yeah, you know, obviously turnovers are quite literally giving the ball back to the other team. But for all of those, those are ones that we forced and we made plays on and we capitalized on. And that's what good teams do. That's what winning teams do. Um, so I, you know, I have to give credit to Clemson here, and I just feel like it was our game from the first play, calling that ballsy Deshaun Watson cute quarterback sneak like to the left, where he gained something like I, I didn't know the number of yards there, but I think it was 33, 33 yards yeah. on the first play of the game. I mean, I'm sure they anticipated some run plays from the quarterback, and we saw it throughout the game, but certainly not in the first play, right? So um, I think that set the tone for the rest of the day. Um, you touched on that as one of your your favorite moments. Um, I agree. So I, I think getting them into the game again was more a direct result of us letting them off the mat than them giving the, the game back to us. Yeah, and granted, we were at home. We The home field advantage, like the crowd was just crazy. And, you know, you were part of that. That must have been awesome. But Let me ask you, I mean, yeah. did you guys have the audio on at the boardroom, our local bar? We, we did. Um, but I, frankly, I don't think you got the effect on uh, like the same way the Georgia game from 2000 and I guess that was... 13. 13, yeah. Home game, yeah. At the home game, yeah. I don't, I, I seem to like feel a little bit more in that game, uh, but I think mm-hmm. that they were more focused in terms of like, here's the rain. That yeah, was more of the just focus. the effects of the weather. Yep. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so home field advantage, but looking at just how the teams, the two teams that played, there was a, a big, like their biggest advantage, maybe the best offensive line in the country was completely negated and then, and then some by our very, very disruptive defensive line both interior and and the defensive ends and it makes you think if we play that game on a neutral field no in a dome you know so there's no rain the elements aren't a factor i think i think we beat them by a touchdown i think we're at least a touchdown better i feel i feel like that and you know you could take a you know turnovers put all that aside home field advantage everything we i felt like we're the better team yeah i think what what we're also starting to see a little bit is our coaching staff coaching more to the circumstances of the game and not necessarily to the ability of the team and, and our ability to just play our game and um, you know play our style. I think we, we might coach to the score a bit and wanting to protect a lead, um, you know, keep it just out of reach of the other team. And you know, when I think about um, what I'd like to see from this you know, going forward, I think it's we need to develop that killer instinct. I think some of the best elite programs when they find a weakness in a, a defense, let's say, they go in and they exploit that, and they go for the throat and put a game away. Um, going up basically 14 to nothing, and then we were up 21 to three at one point. You know, you push that to 28 to three, let's pack it up, we're done. And I think we we sort of, you know, we had Wayne Gallman moving the ball incredibly well in that third quarter, and then we took a shot at the end zone. And you know, you could call that aggressive play calling, but um, you know, I, I, I think let's, you could also say let's let's ride the hot hand with Gallman. Yeah, there's I mean there's a lot of factors there. Every you could say that that was a little bit too aggressive of play calling. I, I say that I think you have to go for it. I I I like being a little bit aggressive right there. 
Sean Peak, you know, that's a whole other story. And it's, you know, we'll talk about that later. But probably should have came down with at least got his hand on that ball. And we're missing Mike Williams. That's that's clear. But I've, I wanted to answer your, your first question, though. How do you think they felt waking up Sunday? And let's say the tables were turned. Let's say we're on the road at Notre Dame this year. And let's say we lost sort of in that fashion. We, we had a valiant comeback, fail at the end. And we just felt came up just a little bit short. Um, things might not have gone our way early and we would have been frustrated. But, you know, I, I think Notre Dame fans, they lost to a very good Clemson team. And they have their whole season ahead of them. They could certainly still end the season a one-loss team, um, losing to a, a Clemson team that could be undefeated by the end of the year. So, you know, again, they're probably disappointed and discouraged, but they, I don't know, it's not end of the world. Yeah, I mean, they get a lot more. They get the benefit of the doubt. If Clemson loses a game, it's over for them. But Notre Dame, they, they can, yeah, you know. They'll bounce back. Redeem, yeah. They, right. they have, you know, uh, powerhouse Stanford and USC on their schedule, you know, from the mighty Pac-12. So they can definitely bounce back. Indeed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, though, we I feel like going back to the play calling, can we go back there yeah, for a second? Yeah, 100%. We, yeah, we were a little conservative, and we left it on the run game. When, when our offense becomes one-dimensional like that, it's like, hey, we're going to run the ball. You know we're going to run the ball. You know, our offensive line has improved, but they're not, they're not, it's not Alabama's offensive line. That's, we, we're not going to win games like that. And, and not, not to mention Notre Dame's front seven. You know, they, got some, they have good linebackers. They have a good defensive line. We're, we're just not going to beat teams like that. you gotta, you got to keep Deshaun Watson – uh, allow him to make plays both with his arm, uh, maybe a little bit um, with running. You know, not too much, but you got you got to let him be dynamic and multi-dimensional, multi-dimensional, not one-dimensional because we we just can't win that way. And we we got to be aggressive. We can't play to not lose. We have to keep playing to win. Put your foot on the throat, like you said. Absolutely, and <clears throat> credit to the defense. I mean, I think um, they were handed and time of possession. If you look at the stats. Ultimately, at the end of the game, does look pretty even. But um, if you, I, I, I think in certain moments, certain positions of the game, they were they were out there way too much, in my opinion. So, we, you know, if you want to go that route, play a little more, more conservatively, that's fine. But I think you need to find a way to extend drives. And even if you don't want to go deep with the ball, get those tight ends involved, run play action. Um, you know, there's ways to go about it. So I think we've got time to adjust to this. I don't know how many, you know, really intimidating teams we're going to be facing going forward. But, um, you know, you do want to see us not play to the scoreboard, more so to play to our ability and our capability. Yeah, so looking at Louisville and now Notre Dame, we won by three and two points. But I felt like in both games we were at least a touchdown. And in the case of Louisville, probably two to three touchdowns better. And, you know, that's going to bite us in the butt, you know, against someone. Unless we can correct and just put, put lesser teams away. And I think that's what we'll start looking for, maybe even as soon as next week. Um, I know you, you know, we're going to record our Georgia Tech preview here in a couple days. Um, they're coming off three direct losses, so but they're a tough team, and you can never kind of look past the Georgia Tech team. Um, fortunately, we've got BC next. I don't think we will be looking ahead, and I don't see a Dabo Sweeney coach team having a letdown performance. Uh, but we will get into that as we re- as we preview that game. Um, Cody, I guess overall. We're, we always like to touch on, was there anything that you feel like you learned in this game? I mean, I, I know that in our first three games of the year, and then with a 16-day hiatus, we were wondering, you know, yeah, Louisville's an 0-3 team. We beat them. We beat two, you know, much lesser um, caliber programs. 
um, those two in convincing fashion, but you know, were there any kind of unknowns that you had answered on Saturday night? Yeah, I mean, really the the defense. I know we've said, we've talked about this a lot, but I think we tend to buy in. I, sometimes you have to just trust the eye test, regardless of your opponent. Like for example, when we were losing to Troy back in 2011, or was it Walford? You know, those first two games where we were our defense was really bad. It doesn't matter who you play. We were down you, to Walford in the fourth quarter. There, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I think it was like tied at halftime with Troy. The, just the thought being, it doesn't matter who you play. If you're bad, yeah, sometimes it, that's, those things are going to come out. And we were really good, even against Louisville, who doesn't have a great offense. And the eye, they passed the eye test. And I, I, re, I was really kind of apprehensive about going into Notre Dame, especially with the weather. I thought it favored Notre Dame, especially with their offensive line, you know, CJ Procise. Yep. I uh, wasn't so worried, that much worried about Phil, uh, Fuller uh, on the outside, but I really thought we would get tested, and our defense, again, they came to play, and they're, it's one of the best defenses in the nation. Yeah, and we did make them truly one-dimensional. Um, I mean, I what I'd like to see if you had any nits to pick with this defense, um, you know, there were a couple of dropped, dropped interceptions, et cetera, that we may even have been able to turn into direct points. Um, and, it, you know, not calling it out, again, I would give this defense, you know, a, a, an A grade for this game um, for all that they did, including that stop at the very end, especially considering the, you know, the time of possession and the, the fact that they were gassed. Um, that was just a grown man play. Um, and you, you saw the effect of Shaq Lawson, even on that play call by Notre Dame. Um, he didn't get his hand on Kaiser necessarily, but they ran that ball away from Shaq. Um, and all night, you saw them go in the other direction, really attack kind of the Kevin Dodd side and the right side of that line. Um, Shaq, you know, I think we knew going into the year he was going to be our guy, but um, to to make to go up and go toe to toe at the top O line in the country and make them one dimensional and eliminate the run, and also to to keep Will Fuller pretty much off the scoreboard, um, pretty pretty exceptional. Yeah, and we talk about our two all-conference guys, Mackenzie Alexander and Shaq Lawson versus their two All-American guys. Um, I think it's Stanley, the offensive tackle, and and then Will Fuller, the wide receiver. And it looks like the inverse might be true. And Procise. And Procise. Really kept him quiet other than as a receiver, as we found out late. Yeah, and my, my, our defense's biggest weakness right now might be our offense's inability to get first downs uh, when they're calling the, calling the uh, plays very conservatively. Other than conservative play calling, do you feel like there's anything you learn on the offensive side? We miss Mike Williams a lot. Sharon Peak is not the same guy. He's just, it's his fifth year. I don't like to use the word develop. Maybe he'll get there. If he's not there right now, he's not going to be there. And we have an opportunity to let Deion Kane and Trevion Thompson, uh, two freshmen, to come in, step into that role, and at least you know get their feet wet, take some lumps. That's what, that's what needs, needs to happen at this point. Um, Sharon P can still be helpful in certain situations. He does have the, the legs. He does, he does have the frame. But, I mean, ultimately, uh, he, he's not that guy. I don't know necessarily that we learned it this week, but I think uh, Hunter Renfro's emerged as really our top possession receiver at this point. Um, you saw a couple of great catches by him and then a near catch on a sort of uh, dropped ball by, I think it was to Deion Kane on the, on the left side. Um, might have been too much mustard on that throw, but to see the awareness and kind of the alertness of Renfro go for that ball, and you know, from where I was sitting, it looked like he had that catch or had his feet in bounds. But um, anyway, Renfro has been a revelation um, in a 
I don't call it a thin wide receiver core, but sort of a uh, developing and kind of still getting its footing receiving core to have a walk on like him come in and do that is, you know, where do we keep finding these guys? Um, just, you know, he's, he's built in the mold of, and I know it's kind of a, a cliche or whatever, but I feel like he, he has that kind of intensity and competitiveness of his predecessors in Adam Humphreys and um, Tyler Gresham. The, the white guy comparison. Well, I, I actually, I'll go away from that and say he's, he's probably more athletic than both of them. And the way he, he goes to the ball, um, he's he's a player. He's he's not just a like a one dimensional receiver. He's got some game. If you yeah. had to compare him, I mean, who who do you see him related to the most in our most recent WRU era? You could, I think, you can compare him a little bit um, to to Nuke. I mean, obviously not on that level. He's definitely he's smaller and he doesn't have the athleticism, but he attacks the ball. Um, and you could also probably compare like him a little Chancey Stucky type. Yeah, that's that's actually not bad. I like that. And then I, I might even call him like Artavis Scott, which I know he's currently playing, but <laughs> like just a guy, you know, he he doesn't he sees the ball, he goes and gets it, and he and he's strong. Definitely. Um, maybe to you know flip it a bit, um, put it on its head. Who's playing this game might might have failed your expectations. Um, did you did you see an opportunity for them to really shine, and they didn't really didn't didn't quite meet what you were hoping for. I think probably the only the only thing was the defense. Like there at the end, linebackers um, maybe got a little gassed. Really though, like that's that goes down to depth. So and I mentioned Sean Peak, but that's just he's just not the guy. It's not his fault. He's not Mike Williams. But ultimately, everyone really played fairly well. Play calling questionable. Uh, defense at the end probably ran out of gas. But ultimately, you know, it was solid all around. We have some great players all around the roster. I definitely agree. I feel like for me, though, not seeing a pass rush develop in that game was something that hurt our team down the stretch. Um, I don't know if that related to fatigue or playing the you know, top offensive line with lots of experience and some, some heavies up front. But um, yeah, there, and there, there were also potentially some missed plays, missed tackles in the backfield where I thought we had them for a loss, had them for a deep sack. And you know, credit Kaiser. He he didn't get he was basically unflapped all, all night and was able to scramble out of a lot of tackles. So not wrapping up on those, not really getting a consistent pass rush, I think put us at risk. Um, but again, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on the fact that you know our defense was on the on the field quite a lot. Yeah, and I think you predicted this. What, what was your prediction for the score? <laughs> well, coming in, I I called twenty four twenty one. Pretty good. Pretty close, but I will say did not did not foresee the sort of circumstance that led to the final um, on our side. Not that I didn't expect a quick start from our team, but I think, uh, you know, got pretty close, I guess. Total luck. Would rather it been like 40, 44 to 21, but yeah, I'll take the win. Um, well, let's let's look ahead or let's sort of take a step forward in thinking about what this win against Notre Dame means, not from what we've learned about the team, but also um, where this puts us um, for the rest of the season. So, Cody, what do you see as this team's ceiling at this point, looking both at our, our play and our development, as well as who else we've got on our schedule and what's, what's you know, um, happened elsewhere um, against our opponents? Yeah, so, I mean, just, what, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, we thought uh, Georgia Tech was, you know, the probably our biggest um, 
are, was going to be our toughest opponent. And clearly they're not, they're down They're They're, they're definitely down. And I'm not going to say we're going to be able to beat them, but I think we match up well against them. Our interior line with their play, not really worried about them. Um, we're still, you know, always worried about Miami and NC State playing on the road. I, can't, I mean, are we going to be able to get up for those games? But ultimately, they're they're a little bit down too. And then South Carolina, we, we were looking at them as po- a possible top twenty-five team, and they're they're definitely not that. Um, the only the only game that really worries me is Florida State. We have that at home. We match up well. So yeah, we're in a great position. I mean, that winning that game wasn't just beating Notre Dame. It was knowing that. We kind of control our own destiny from here on out, and we're we're in a good position. Our schedule stacks up well, and it's it's looking good. I fully agree, and I think the momentum of the recent years of just handling our business against um, maybe lower talent or sort of in a lesser spot opponents bodes well for us continuing to take care of business. Our where we play these games bodes well. We've got Georgia Tech at home. We've got Florida State at home. Everyone knows this, um, but I think that that does impact our playoff likelihood at this point. We're currently ranked sixth. I think, you know, Ben always talks about looking around the country and scoreboard watching against teams that are ranked ahead of us. I don't think we're going to need to do that. You've got two teams ahead of us, TCU, Baylor, who are playing each other coming up. Um, You've got Michigan State and Ohio State playing each other. They're both ranked ahead of us. That's coming up. So at least two of the teams ahead of us will likely, I mean, they will take a loss and they will fall. you know, we take care of our business, we win the ACC, we run the table, we're going to be in that playoff, barring, you know, five teams going undefeated at this point. And I think it's notable, no one, we've seen like the, the crazy parody, um, the seesaw that is college football right now in terms of people winning, people losing, um, no one has really stood out as a, as a powerhouse or a juggernaut. Someone could emerge, Ohio State could emerge, that's probably the most likely candidate, but on any given Saturday, Clemson could be the best team in, in college football, and hopefully we'll keep improving. So if we do make that playoff, it's not just a one-and-out type scenario. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly would be an achievement for our program to win another ACC title, let alone to make the playoff. Like, that's great, and it's it's great exposure for us, and we'll all be happy. But, you know, you, you've got it. You saw it with Ohio State last year. They were an underdog going in, and you've got to think about, like, we have a shot at this thing, and... You know, we do need to take care of business but to get there. But I think you know, we've got the talent. We've got the coaching. Um, it's really about putting together you know, a, a game plan to correct mistakes and develop um, to get there it's, and compete. It's, it's just good having a dog in the fight like at this point. Yeah, and especially I mean, from our season outlook, we were looking at, at this year as a great way to develop some of our young talent, uh, turn over to defense, and try to find our playmakers for the future. Maybe thinking 2016 was our better, better opportunity at – national relevance and glory here we are in 2015 and we've got you know the table set a little bit so um we hey we told ben we try to tell him that schedule matters and we're seeing it it mattered against notre dame most likely it it might matter it'll probably matter against georgia tech and the same could be said for florida state so regardless of which team will be better sometimes you just have to get the breaks that's right so um again we'll We'll continue to, you know, calibrate this team's outlook for the season as we move forward. But, um, you know, as a, as a fan base, there's plenty to, you know, if you want to look go through this team with a fine-tooth comb, there's plenty to nitpick. But I think it's worth for, you know, the next day or two, take a step back, appreciate what we have here, appreciate this victory. It's one that, you know, we've, we're, we talk about this Notre Dame game from the 70s and how we lost in 77. They stole one from us. We went back to their place two years ago. 
beat them on their senior day. You know, here we are, you know, basically 35 years later and we get this victory. I mean, this is a, this is a generational win for this program. Let's, let's appreciate what it was and what it, what it has been. I, I totally agree. And yeah, it's just, it's, that's the beauty again. It's the beauty of college football. Like these wins, like enjoy it while we still can. Hopefully it'll lead to greater things down the road and consistency. Um, so all in all, you know, four and zero, great outlook for the season. Great win for Clemson. Um, don't need to, don't need to dig in any further on this one. Um, maybe what we could do real quick is touch on some of the other action around the country, um, that impacted, um, Clemson's opponents coming up and other teams around the country. So just to start, I mean, I think we saw four of the top 10 teams lose. Um, Ole Miss fell to Florida. We touched on that one shortly. Um, Georgia lost to Alabama. Notre Dame, of course, to Clemson. And then a UCLA team that everyone was pretty much thought would run away with the Pac-12 South uh, lost to the enigmatic Arizona State Sun Devils. So for the top 10 go down, um, I think what we're also seeing here is a bit of the SEC leapfrogging game. Um, Georgia loses to Bama. Bama jumps up. Ole Miss loses to Florida, Florida jumps up. Neither Ole Miss nor Georgia fall that far. It's a bit of a, you know, cannibalization or SEC beating itself up, but everyone considers them all elite because early season they were ranked pretty highly. So I think you saw that in the last couple of years, especially in the SEC West. I think we're back into that game. The good part is, we mentioned it before, Clemson's ranked number six. None of those teams have really been able to eke their way back into the top five, at least not yet. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to see Florida go from, I think, 25 to 11, and now they're talked about, are they a playoff team? And, you know, they... I mean, I've read articles that say they might be the best team in the country. It's insane. Yeah, I think I, I, think I read that same After article. one win. Yeah, and, uh, and then you had, you know, obviously Ole Miss beat Alabama, and they go from 15, they're like, wow, they beat the best team in the nation. They beat Alabama. Well, they're number three now. And then, of course, they lose to Florida. The same thing happens. And they don't, like you said, they don't fall too far back, but... At least it's not, you know, it's just conjecture. It's just us talking. But, I mean, at least it doesn't affect us. We still control our own destiny. Yeah, and in terms of elsewhere, still those teams that are ranked one through five, you've got a couple in Ohio State and Michigan State that needed full 60 minutes to get by their relative opponents of Indiana for the Buckeyes. And I believe it was, was it Purdue for Michigan State? Yeah. Um, Two of the really tough day incidentally for the state of Indiana football programs. But um, just overall, I mean, I think there's these teams that are supposed to be world beaters don't really look that impressive taking care of lesser opponents. Yeah, how did Cardell Jones from Ohio State go from being like Cam Newton to, I don't know, Jamarcus Russell? I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, like a good comparison for him. Um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely not. I said after the Virginia Tech game, wow, the, those guys are scary good. But yeah, they look like an NFL team. But yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on with the Buckeyes there, but I think it. Something they may not be might be a championship hangover. Could be something related to the quarterback drama and controversy at the beginning of the year being a distraction. Might be a combo of those, but you know, right now they look like a team that's maybe top ten, not definitely not number one. And Mich- Michigan State, at least I'll give Ohio State the benefit of the doubt because they pa- they passed the eye test. They are the champs. Uh, they got NFL guys all over their roster. They have a, co- a coach that's won multiple national championships. Yeah, they'll figure it out. But Michigan State, on the other hand, I, t- I, I don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Like their 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 resume is not that good. 
they're just they're the beneficiary of having a high ranking and not falling that far. They they did get leapfrogged by I think a couple of Big Twelve teams, rightfully so. Why the heck weren't they leapfrogged by Clemson? They've and, and like yeah, their big win it was against Oregon. Well, you know that kind of went out the window when um, who was at Utah just beat the brakes off of Oregon. So at this point, yeah, it's you know at least we can say we still again we control our own destiny. I'll beat it with the dead, uh, whatever it's called. Uh, beat the be- dead horse. Beat the dead horse, and uh, yeah, we can you know still make the playoff. Yeah, and I think in terms of elsewhere around the country, what's been going on, um, the defense fest in the Big Twelve continues to to, to move forward. Um, Baylor beat up on Texas Tech sixty three thirty five. TCU dispatched of Texas fifty to seven. That conference is insane at this point. You got OU who looks pretty competent, also making a move. Um, up the rankings um, as well. So I think, again, you could see another cannibalization effect in the Big 12. I don't know if they're going to get the benefit of the doubt that the SEC gets based on the play of their defenses across the conference. Well, Yeah, I, I think I agree. And also what we've seen from the Big 12 traditionally, we don't want to harp too much on what's happened in the past, but they go up against a team that can play defense, and a lot of times they meet their, their match. I mean, and that's fine because Clemson plays defense, so... You know, I'd be, be glad to match up with any one of those teams right now. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll see as I think the, um, week five, I'm sorry, week six, um, there's maybe not as many marquee national matchups happening, but this could be that, that crazy upset Saturday that, we've, that we see every single season. Um, and I know you guys are going to do a preview of Clemson-Georgia Tech coming up later in the week. You'll probably look ahead to some of the key matchups around the country. But, um, you know, I like where we are. To come in through five weeks and be sixth in the country, you know, I can't tell you the last time that happened where we also had, you know, a, a clear schedule ahead of us. So things are looking good. It's really it couldn't couldn't have been any better at this point. Um, and maybe to wrap us up today, Cody, um, wanted to maybe we'll end with beer since everyone seems to to like that as a topic. Um, when I was down in in the southeast, I managed to uh, try to partake in some of the local local beers. Uh, so I took note um, of some of the some of the ales that I was able to drink. I'll give a quick recap of those. Um, try the Highland Lost Cove Pale Ale. I believe they're based in um, North Carolina. So they call it a pale ale. Um, it was super hoppy. So I think this would sort of fit more in the IPA category, but definitely definitely a quality um, pale ale there. Let me let me look them up real quick. But um, what are you What are you drinking this evening? Uh, it's a It's a West Coast beer, but it's not a It's not a pale. It's not an IPA. It's a uh, It's a Boone Amber Ale. It's made by Anderson Valley. Just a good something to switch it up from uh, an IPA. Not really feeling that right now. Yeah, and they're they're up in Anderson County, I believe, which is like north of the Bay Area. Yeah, not in, not Anderson, South Carolina. Not Anderson SC. Um, yeah, that Highland Brewing Co. is actually up in Asheville. Um, so I believe we've had a couple folks. Turn, turn us on to them um, and they're solid um, another beer that I tried this weekend was the Lone Rider Shotgun Betty Hefeweizen um, and this one I've had quite a few American Hefeweizens um, wheat beers are great and I feel like the, the American ones um, tend to be a bit more uh, you kind of get more of a wheat profile to those whereas I think this uh, Lone Rider was a bit more like a German style Hefeweizen like a Polliner uh, it's definitely tasted more malty so uh, good beer. Check that out. Um, let's see where Lone Rider is from. 
And anyway, tonight I'm drinking a Cronenberg uh, 1664. So nothing special here. Uh, basically a French lager. But um, anyway, you know, continue to give us your beer racks, guys. Uh, we also want to kick up a, a mailbag segment. So if anyone has questions for us or commentary, um, we're all ears for that. We've got an email address. Hit us up at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter. Um, so give us a shout there, a mention. Um, we're on Facebook. Feel free to give us a like as well. And absolutely tell your friends. We had great listenership. Um, so for all our new listeners coming in with the Notre Dame series, you know, welcome. We appreciate it. Um, tell a friend. Make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Maybe you're on the web and you saw kind of a, a SoundCloud link and listen to us that way. Um, you know, you can get our podcast streamed to your phone. Just subscribe to us. Um, if you use an iPhone, there's a podcasting app already on your phone. There's a few other good platforms out there. Um, so check it out. And uh, we appreciate the listens. And let us hear from you. Anything else, Cody? That's all I got, man. Cool. Well, uh, thanks, everyone. You'll hear from us later in the week. Do not miss our second part where we interview STS's Quack and Tiger. That's all we got. Go Tigers.